0: Is Baseball Tonight the podcast? This is the Baseball Tonight
1: podcast for Friday, March first, two thousand twenty-four, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster, only working uh, my last podcast from here in Montana for a while because I'm headed to Florida this weekend. We've got a couple of exhibition broadcasts next week. Sean Bartley is working from Los Angeles, Los Angeles, where I assume. That the big news this morning is about Shohei Ohtani getting married.
2: Crazy news, man. Um, you, were, <laughs> you, 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 and I were talking early. And you were like, "Hold on, he's married now." I know. Well, it, and it's funny too because it's sort of typical Ohtani
1: where uh, he just announced he was married. He didn't. There was no run-up. There's no pictures. There's no information. And look, for someone who's as public figure as him, I get it. He doesn't want to have everyone chasing around his bride all over the world. Uh, but it is sort of in, in keeping uh, with the, with Otani that everything is under wraps, yes? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we're going to have a special report, actually, on the podcast today from Japan, from a special correspondent, my daughter, who's in grad school over there. Uh, and She's going to tell us what the reaction is over there. I might ask her a baseball question, too, although she'd be the first to say, that's not necessarily her thing. Uh we're going to be talking with Carl Ravitch today. We're going to be getting some uh team previews of the Angels, Otani's former team and his current team the Dodgers. Joe Davis of the Dodgers, Mark Gubaza of the Angels are going to join us. Speaking of the Dodgers, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was outstanding in his Cactus League debut. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like.
0: That was a That's just filthy. As strikes
1: out. here's dave roberts the dodgers manager talking about yamamoto's performance
3: and he just no surprise that he controls controlled his emotions i'm sure he was excited uh you couldn't tell it and he was just out there professional attacking and he got a chance to use his fastball uh the split the slider the third so he was really good today and uh you know, he's going to go back out there in the third inning uh, just to kind of throw pitches, but he said uh, he felt
1: good and uh, he did his job. Cody Bellinger was back in the Cubs camp uh, a couple days ago. He discussed re-signing with the Cubs. This sound from MLB.com.
4: Yeah, it was amazing. Um, you know, just the constant support uh, from, from the teammates. Um, you know, obviously, everyone knew how great of a time I had last year and, you know, how just a great, great clubhouse that we had. and Um, You know, just the positive words that they're bringing this past season or this past offseason, which was great to hear. And obviously, we're super excited to get back here with them.
1: There is some sad news. Hector Ortiz, who spent the last 18 years as a manager and coach in the Texas Rangers organization, died Wednesday after a long battle with cancer. He was 54 years old. The Rangers said that Ortiz died at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, not far from where the club uh, has its spring training home in Surprise, Arizona. He was a coach on the minor league player development staff the last three years after serving on the major league staff under the two previous managers, Jeff Bannister and Chris Woodward. The Orioles added Colton Wong and Julio Tehran to minor league contracts uh, they invited have invited into spring training. That's the, the Orioles trying to add some depth. But as we t- speak here, among the unsigned players still on the board, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, J.D. Martinez... Matt Chapman, Tommy Pham, Brandon Belt, and yes, Joey Vada, who's going to join us in just a second. Sean, what else you got?
2: I want to tell everybody to please go check out the College Game Day podcast with Reese Davis, Pete when well, We had a special guest this week, writer Ryan McGee, uh, who came to stop in and give some of his thoughts on this upcoming season, a lot of um, field, field and court storming discussions and things like that. So it's an exciting episode. Go check it out.
1: Joey Votto is a future Hall of Famer uh having spent so many years with the Cincinnati Reds making all-star teams winning an MVP uh hitting home runs and Joey uh thanks for joining us in the early in spring training I was thinking about this this morning this just must feel weird for you not to be in a camp someplace
4: you know <clears throat> very weird it's it's not it's it's weird because i'm used to being in control and I'm used to being um, having familiar, having a familiar routine, knowing where I'm going to go, teammates, coaches, familiar drive to the ballpark, equipment, you know, uh, all the all the little things that that you um, you you take for granted. I I don't have those kind of in rhythm right now, and you know, it's 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 an odd experience for me. So. Also, you know, I'd love to play. I miss playing. You know, I miss I miss competing. You know, the last couple of seasons I've I've been trying really hard to not um to not make excuses or bring up my injury because I think when you're on the field, you're telling everyone I'm ready. And you know, I I just didn't play well enough the last couple of years and I think that that's lending itself to this position I'm in, you know, the combination of of you know, I'm 40. Um, I've had two below average seasons the last couple of seasons and, you know, I, I don't know, I, am not as confident as, uh, I've been in, in past years that, um, you know, I'll, I'm going to get 700 plate appearances and I'm going to play 162 games. And so it's an odd experience, but I, I will say I prepare for a full season. I prepare to play and compete on a daily basis and uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. So you asked about the experience of of not being at spring training at this point. It's odd. There's a lot of odd things for me, but you know, such as the the, you know, such as the professional athlete experience.
1: So I reached out to you a few weeks ago to ask you about Ronald Acuna Jr. What jumped out to me in that conversation? Because at the at the very end of it you talked about how good it felt to feel healthy. And then a couple of days ago, I talked with Alex Bregman, who for the first time in like four years had a full off season where he could work out and he could work on his swing. And he talked about that. And it reminded me of that conversation I had with you, like how difference making that is for you guys potentially.
4: A major league career, if played long enough, is not, is going to have some hiccups. It's going to have some bumps in the road. I'm sure Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Ted Williams, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., all of them had their Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken, you know, <laughs> all the greats that played 2,500, 3,000, 3,500 games, all of our greats, all of our beloved players, I'm sure played through really crummy stretches, whether it was some sort of injury history, injury experience or some sort of, you know, trauma, some sort of loss, some sort of funk um, and you can continue to plug away. You continue to show up um, just like our, and this is not pandering, just like our paying fans show up to work every day. There's there's something I admire deeply about the athlete that just continues to show up and doesn't get to show out their very, very best in the very best light with the very best background music, you know, sort of thing. It's It's part of being a professional athlete and certainly playing 162 games, playing for eight, baseball for eight months straight, it is going to happen as a major league player. And so you have to continue to plug away. All our greats have 2,500, 2,000, 3,000 games played. Simple math, you play 150 times 20, there's your 3,000. You got to show up. And if you're doing that for 20 years, you are doing some very, very big things. So I I can only imagine Ronald Acuna feels even better this year. I can only imagine that Bregman is an, it has an attitude that every single session during spring training uh, is is an even better session than 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 you know last year in the season. You know, as you distance yourself from an injury, so I look forward to watching that and to the players that that have rough patches. Plug away, stick it out, keep going, keep going.
1: So tell me about uh, what conversations you've had with teams. Uh, you know what uh, communications you've had with teams, connecting, uh, and, and you know if if you had another one today, what would you tell them?
4: Well, as far as communication with teams, my agents in communication with teams, and so that makes me happy. <laughs> I like. I we don't. It's best to only speak so much. If I intervene, I, I'm not as objective. I'm kind of in the in the I want to play sort of mentality but um I let him do his job. He's done a great job in my career, Dan Lozano. Um, and I just kind of wait, make sure I'm fully prepared, make sure I'm ready. And then as far as what I would tell teams, you know I'm I'm not gonna sell myself. I mean I, I've I've had a I, I've had a really good stretches over the last three years and then some, Awful, awful stretches. I mean, I, I I looked up my numbers in the minor leagues last year. And I, I mean, I don't even know if I OPS 600 during my time in the minor leagues doing my very, 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 very best. But that's coming back. That's rehabbing. That's coming back from an injury. And that's that. that is what it is. So as far as what I would tell teams. I would say, don't look at my minor league numbers. Do the best. <laughs> no, I would. I would just say. Um, I would just say I'm motivated. I would just say I'm motivated. I love the game. I'm motivated to play, and I'm going. I, I'm going to prep and compete on a daily basis, and let the chips fall where they may. Where they may. Uh, Twenty two. This will be if, you know, hopefully play this year, 23 years professional baseball. This would be my 18th major league season. And I still have that chip on my shoulder. I still have that. I want to prove myself. I still have that compensation, you know, whatever I'm compensating for. <laughs> I have like uh, this attitude of like, I want to prove myself. I want to prove myself all the time. I want to prove myself sort of thing. And um, it's what, what's what been part of the source of my um my competitive drive and I wouldn't have it any other way. So, yeah. So one of your, I I remember talking with an agent recently of one of your peers uh,
1: and what I got, the feedback I got from, from this agent was, well, you know, my client's looking for a particular situation, maybe one part of the country. Uh, He's very specific in terms of what he's looking for, a team that can win and it's gotta be close to where his home is. For you, what type of situation are you looking for?
4: You know, so I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I've got a home about 20, 25 minutes away from the stadium. But, you know, in this game, in this game, when you have that major league uniform on, when you get to step into the box as a major league player and they announce your name and the fans cheer boo or say nothing, which is the worst by the way. Um <laughs> if you're approaching the play and there's no reaction you're still in a major league uniform competing on stage there's only 30 30 stadiums only 15 games a night at best and, and and I I truly I mean I played in the smallest market in our sport and I fell in love with it you know I I played in front of um the most modest of markets and and I wouldn't have had it any other way so as far as where I want to play, you know, I just I just want to prove to myself, as I have mentioned before, I want to prove to myself and I'm not chasing proving to others because I frankly, you know, the little Twitter comments and the little coach comments or front office comments or other players or the pure ignoring being ignored or, or that's even worse. You know, that sort of thing, like you, not even, you know reading a free agent article and you're not even mentioned sort of thing. I'm not here to prove anything. I don't have that sort of like, uh, anger. I want to prove things. I want to prove that I can still do it. I can, I'm healthy. I can compete well. And, and if I can't, then, um, you know, it, it's been a great experience. So tell me
1: about, uh, as you're waiting for this opportunity, what you're up to.
4: Uh, I train every day. I do, you know, um, Again, this is not, this is not, I'm just informing. This is not an attempt at making excuse, but shoulder injury, shoulder, uh, you know, rotator cuff slash bicep injury can take a long time to get back to full strength, a long time. And it's tedious and it's painful and it's uh, just an endless exercise of small, small micro improvements. And so I've been doing rehab like six, seven hours, eight hours a week. I trained five days a week. I started hitting early because I, you know, I wanted to make sure that I could hit the ground running. And if I was in a position where I had to kind of fight for a spot that I would be able to show show my best. And so that's, that's where I'm at right now. I just continue to continue to do it. I'm in Ichiro mode right now. You know, I'm going to show up every <laughs> single day and get my work in uh, rain, uh, sleet. Uh, or snow. And um, it's sunny outside right now. So I showed up even when it's sunny. So yeah. The last one for you. And you're
1: also, I see your posts on social media, which are always classic. They're so good. Tell me your inspiration for those.
4: Really, social media, I don't take very seriously in terms of like, it's not it's not an opportunity. Rarely do I use it as an opportunity to send a message. You know, I, I have a good relationship with the media. And they've served me quite well and they've been able to hand out my message or distribute my my message um, and frame it fairly, frame it fairly. So I, I always feel like whether I'm speaking on camera with with an on-field on reporter or if I'm doing an interview on, on a network or if I'm speaking to a member of the Baseball Writers Association or others, you know, other, other, other writers, um, I, I feel like I can hand out the message, my sincere message of, you know, I'm grateful for for my my um my position, or I'm trying to compete, or we're trying to win, or I'm angry about a call, or something that happened to me. I try to be sincere as often as possible in those scenarios. Uh, whereas social media. You know, it's, it's such a, uh, it's quick for people to digest. And I feel like I want, I want people to react to it, whether angrily or cringy or happily or, or, or just joking or, or, or smiling or laughing, you know, there's going to be reactions of all spectrum, but I want a reaction. It's important for me as we zoom on a Disney network on a Disney zoom <laughs> for me to keep it G because it's important for me to make sure that. Uh, you know, a grandmother can share it with their grandson or daughter. And so I try to make sure I can stay inside of that bandwidth. I want, I want to be able to be playful and I want people's attention. You know, I want the attention. I don't want to just kind of do something that kind of falls in line with what everyone else is doing. I want someone to, I want people to see my personality and my, see that I I'm, I'm light about things. And so that, that's my goal. I've gotten some good reactions and some non-reactions and I prefer the good reactions over the non-reactions, to be honest. <laughs> Oftentimes I get I, I you know, people say say that um, you know, I'm serious or I'm being a jerk or something like that, but it's tongue in cheek, you know. Eh, I'm I'm pretty simple guy. I want to play ball. I want to I, I genuinely want to volunteer my time and give. I want to connect with my family and my social circle. You know, I want to I live live a healthy. Consistent life. My my goals are very simple, and so um not to allow, not to you know belabor this point, but you know I, I'm just trying to have fun on there. All right, Joey. Always fun talking with you. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see you in spring. Stay warm with that jacket, man. <laughs> nice to see you.
1: Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, moxidectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: All aboard. It's the Revi Train with Carl Rabbit On Baseball Tonight.
1: Carl Ravitch is a play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball, and that means Ravi next week. Getting into it, a couple of exhibition games starting on Tuesday, then another one on Thursday.
5: Yeah, it, it's such a good time of year. My two favorite times of the year, Buster, are summertime, obviously, because there's there's no better place to be than a than a ballpark on a summer night, a warm summer night, and then uh, and then the fall when they're in their playoffs. But this idea that college hoop is ending and Major League Baseball is starting, I. I I think there are a billion storylines. I'm really excited about about this year, given some of the things the teams have done. Maybe given some of the teams that haven't won recently with a chance to win. I, I think it's a. I think we may have said this last year, but I think it's going to be another great year for Major League Baseball. I'm I'm really really fired up for this season.
1: And you've had conversations recently with a couple of managers. Uh, one, Dave Roberts. Uh, of course, the Dodgers are at the, in the headlines, and Aaron Boone, who will be uh, managing the Yankees next week when we see them when they face the Mets, uh, and uh, presumably the rest of the year as well. Uh, but before we do that, I just got that done that conversation with Joey Votto, and I'm, I'm curious to you know, get your take sort of on the idea of Joey Votto, J.D. Martinez, Brandon Belt, uh, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman being without jobs. A lot of talks about a signing deadline potentially in the future that might help. Carl, unless the relationship between MLB and the, and the union changes, I never see that happening. (laughs) Like I I don't think they'll ever work together to make that happen.
5: I'm not not sure that the interest of the players is similar to the interest of the owners or the fans in this case to put a deadline on. Look, it would be great. It certainly has served other sports really well. It makes for a, for an exciting, whether it's a week, week, two-week, one-month window, whatever it is. Um, Look, I personally would love to know, and I think most fans would love to know, what their team is going to look like. You know, let's just say by the end of January, we we know what we are uh, with regards to free agents, et cetera. I just don't think that that an agent will tell you that makes a great deal of sense for our clients uh, you know there are injuries that happen in the spring some guys show up and they're out of shape their arms our commodity can become more uh, valuable as spring wears on and i completely understand that and get it but from a global perspective i think a, yeah a one month whatever it is window would be would be phenomenal. And I, you know, look, all these guys are going to end up with jobs. It's, I, I, I don't think any of them are going to sit out and miss a season or even miss part of it. Um, the question becomes, what's that meeting point between player and, and team? And they'll always be one. I, They're always going to show up. Um, but I do think some of the guys like Snell and Montgomery, you know, Matt Chapman, who I spent some time with at the Gold Gloves this uh, past offseason season. You know, it's curious. I, I think we all operate differently, too, Buster. You know, I, I would prefer to know where I'm going to be and to understand what my salary is. But that's that's been my my personality throughout my career. Other people would prefer not to and wait for the biggest buck and really bet on themselves and, and all those things. So this is a it's a very personal thing with regards to the signings, I think.
1: Yeah, I kind of wonder, I'd love to know, uh, you know, the conversations, the substance of the conversation between Cody Bellinger and Scott Boris, because my sense of Cody is that Cody is is like you, like me, and then he would want some certainty. Wouldn't surprise me if he was like, okay, let's go. What do we got? Who, who's out there? What are the offers? Let's make it happen. Yeah. Um, and you're right. And there's some other players who are like, no, I'm good. You know, they're comfortable. If you're Maybe there's a starting pitcher out there who says, you know what, I know my throwing program, I'm going to prepare. And if it means uh, potentially waiting for an injury for one of the contending teams, that'll increase my leverage. Okay. I'll, I'll do that as well. I mean, one thing, and you mentioned, I mean, the, the, what motivates the agents and the teams is so different. Um, You know, Scott Boris, as you know, he feels like he wants to set a a price on a player and he will wait and he will wait and he will wait, which is why, you know, he's got four prime guys left out on the marketplace.
5: (laughs) Yeah. And I think look, I think I think comparing me and you and and other people to some of these guys where it falls way short is, you you know, generally people need need to work. They need employment. They need an income. Many of these guys are financially so stable that they can play a waiting game. It doesn't you know, they're not they're not necessarily in need of work in order to put food on the table or to pay the mortgage, et cetera. Um, so again, and, Carl, that, that, and let me
1: interrupt you. You're 100% right. Let me interrupt you and say this that you know, a conversation with agents recently is for some of these veterans, there's also the question of who've made a lot of money. There's yeah. also the question of is taking a one and a half million dollar deal on a non roster invite worth it? You know, right. which seems like a lot of money for a lot of folks, but I think for guys who've made a lot of money, maybe they're thinking, you know what, I'd rather be home with the kids if I yeah, can't re- get. And I'm picking a number out of the air—five million dollars. If I sure. can get seven million dollars, yeah. maybe I'll just take it to the house. Those are some of the conversations going on right now with agents.
5: I would agree, and I would think that there are certain players that, as you said, and I have no idea if Bellinger did this, but at some point, you say to your wife, uh, to yourself, to your agent, "Here's where I want to play. I know they have money. I don't need to break the bank." It's almost the the counter to to your point about I have so much. At some point. I want to play for a winner. I want to play in a city that I'm comfortable in. Look, sure. $3 million, $10 million when maybe I'm worth 15. I want to play baseball. I want to play in a city on a team that I love with a chance to get to the playoffs. And it's maybe that also, it, you know, is is the deciding factor. There are just so many different parts to, to these things that go into it. Um, and look, I, I'm I'm not going to knock Scott Boris for anything, given given the incredible track record that he's had with his players. He he is the he is the guy for a reason.
1: Yeah, and I I, I you know I've had the conversation in the podcast early in the week that you know when this contract went down, I was getting text messages from agents, uh, "Ding dong, the witch is dead." You know, Scott overplayed his hand on this one. I personally think, and I've had this executive uh, conversation with executives. I think for Cody, this is a great contract, $30 great contract. million dollars a year great. for two years. And, you know, with the opt-outs after years one and year two for a guy who had horrific performances in 2020, you know, and 21 yeah. and 22. And yeah. on top of that, it's been a while since he's played a full season. He's had, what, five years since he played 150 games. So yeah. for him to get this contract,
5: I think it's pretty good. Given I think the it's great. So, Buster, I, I agree with you. I think it's great.
1: All right. Uh, you had a conversation recently with Aaron Boone. He'll be managing our first exhibition broadcast uh, next week. Tell me uh, about that. Well, How is he feeling?
5: Yeah, I think he's feeling good. Um, I, I know he's feeling good. He he looks at, at his players that, you know, in his view, needed to have a good offseason to kind of get themselves back into a place physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, and they did that. Um, you know, I think guys like, like, like Nestor Cortez struggled a little bit last year, physically and and maybe mentally. I, I think I think they feel he's in a great place. Um, DJ Lemayhew uh, looks like he looked, you know, four, five, six years ago, which is hugely important to this team, given where he he bats. The seamless Soto transition to this team and you know with Aaron Judge putting his arm around him yeah Alex Alex Verdugo feels wanted which is a huge deal a for anybody but certainly a guy like Verdugo who didn't feel necessarily that way in Boston um he he loves he loves his team um he's gonna miss Michael King but Michael King was was the price for a Juan Soto and you know I'm I know that they tried hard to keep Michael. I think Mike's going to have a great year in San Diego, but you now add Juan Soto to a lineup that needed a little, a little offense and a little left-handed power. Rizzo feels good. Uh, Clay Holmes is great. I I think Lil Isaac is a big X factor here. Um, You know, and if he's right, that's a huge part of that, uh, that bravado, that bullpen that they need. So I think he's one of the keys, but look, he, he feels great. He knows the division is nasty. We had the conversation a hundred times about the Orioles and some of their players and they're going to be a problem. The Orioles are a problem this year for everybody. And that includes the Yankees. But I think Booney loves where his team is at right now.
2: And
1: if in fact Blake Snell is at a point in his winter where he's going to be open to short-term deals, maybe he winds up going to the Yankees. We have to remember that every dollar that they commit to a player is going to be taxed at a rate of 110%. So if you sign Blake Snell, you're the Yankees, it's not thirty-five million dollars, you know, in a one year contract. It's seventy-five million dollars. Yeah, yes, yeah, yep. Yeah, it's closer yeah. to that. So we'll see. But I, you know, I I think that's one worth watching because there are not a, a lot of potential landing places, I think, for Blake Snell. And you're right about LeMahieu. I talked to Booney uh, over the weekend. Man, it, it sounds like that he's gotten himself in a place physically. Forget the swing, but he's gotten himself in a better place physically, which is why I think there's a lot of optimism around what he might do this year.
5: Yeah, I will say I will say this about every team and every player. Um, if it's anything but that off and off season, yeah, that's re- right. that's really troubling. Like I most players should be in the best shape that they're gonna be all year when you report to training camp barring some offseason surgery or recovery, but you you should come in feeling as good as you're going to feel for the next 10 months. I mean, so if it were anything else, I, I would be very worried. But I know in years past, guys have tried to get that way and you never hear about it. But after the season, well, he was nursing a bad back all year. He had a foot, you know, issue all year. And you're like, well, no one ever really, really commented on that. In this yeah. case, you know, when you come out of a gate saying he feels as good and looks as good, I I, I kind of hope that you're that way, but I know sometimes physically you can't be. I'm glad to hear that. But, again, the other part of it is, well, let's check back in a month, three months, five months. Let's see where we're at.
1: You also talked with Dave Roberts, uh, who must have, after the, uh, the Dodgers game yesterday, must have been feeling really good because Yamamoto in that first – sliver of action that we've seen man he's got great stuff i am going to be curious to see how hitters adapt to his delivery you know because he's got a, that strike it's it's yep. such a simple delivery that uh you know he adapted for 2023 taken to the dodgers um but he looked great on the first day and I, I mean right now it's all you know bells and whistles for dave roberts in spring training
5: yeah when, when otani like when i spoke to dave uh I'd say almost three weeks ago, maybe initially, you know, he was a little skeptical about Otani and his health and we'll see about Korea and, you know, opening day. We, you know, rightfully so, we got to wait and see. Um, But even then he said, all, all things point to him being ahead of whatever, whatever line of demarcation a physical therapist or a surgeon would put on where he should be. He clearly is, is, physically beyond where they thought he'd be uh, a home run in his first game, uh, a big smile, apparently a new wife, a uh, first wife, which <laughs> no, no one, no one seemed to know about, which is very, very on brand with Shohei Otani. Uh, so look, he seems to be incredibly, and why wouldn't you be comfortable in his own skin, comfortable in the new uniform, comfortable with his new teammates, and Yamamoto is, is, is as close to a pitching machine, like literally a machine. Yes, I agree with that. Seemingly as there is. He, he, he seems to know, like if you said, I want a fastball high and on the outside corner, he will do that. If you press this button, he will throw it down and in. This one will be right down the middle. He, he comes across as, as you know, robotic pitching machine-like in his in his accuracy and delivery, and also his demeanor and his preparation. Business-like translates to me. Like, remember Yvonne Lendl when he played tennis? Yes. Yvonne Lendl reminded me of, like, that's a machine. That's what they make movies out of. He's he's so singularly focused, and he is going to beat you. You're going to lose. I think that's how, you know, you, you look at somebody like Yamamoto, where we're at right now with what we know about him.
1: All right, Rabbi. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, before you, uh, we're going to have that broadcast next Tuesday, I believe, one o'clock, right Eastern yep. Time. Next Tuesday be Mets, and Thursday, one o'clock. Mets hosting the Yankees, uh, and, and in the interim, please fix Vanderbilt's basketball program. Okay. I,
5: I don't. Have, there's not enough time to do that in the interim. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need a little more time than that. Thanks, Buster. Thanks, Rabbi. All right, for some
1: special reporting. On the Shohei Otani situation, his announcement on Instagram that he's married, I turned to someone in Japan, and that would be my daughter, Sydney Only, who's a graduate student there. She's taken Japanese for years. She wants to be a Japanese professor. And Sydney, I think you'd agree with me. You're not a big baseball fan, yes? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> but when this news hit in Japan, you were all over it. You were texting me early yesterday morning. Tell me about the reaction that's been there.
6: Yes, I, I would say that maybe aside from the marriage of the former imperial princess, uh, no marriage in Japan has ever been received uh, quite this way. Um, there have been special issues for major uh, news channels, which just for your information are typically reserved um, for uh, earthquakes, uh, the birth of a member of the imperial family. Um, everyone was all over that within 24 hours, regardless of their typical content. There have been street interviews. There's a bar in Osaka city uh, giving out out free drinks to comfort women in shock <laughs> at, at the marriage of Otani Shohei. Um, so it's really quite an issue here. Even if you're not a baseball fan, it's just inescapable.
1: So you were telling me that there was a reaction to his Instagram posts, uh, responses on that. If you could just tell me about some of those, res- th- those uh, the reaction.
6: Yes, absolutely. So um, I can read them out first in Japanese, and then I'll read out the English translations. Um, so a lot of these are from uh, women who are experiencing what is being called in Japan, uh, Otani Urosu, or the loss of Shohei Otani. Um, <laughs> so first we have, uh, Kekkon aite, watashi. is the person you married, perhaps, <laughs> me? Um, next we have, Kyôwa April desu ka? Is today April Fools? <laughs> next we have uh omedetou gozaimasu kattei ni watashi to kekkon suru to omottemashita sasoku shouhei loss desu kore kara mo congratulations i had selfishly been thinking you would marry me it's a sudden loss of shouhei but i'll try my best from here on out next we have uh shitsurin-san minasan tsuyoku ikimashou watashi mo ganbatte iki to everyone heartbroken let's strongly live on I'll also try my best to keep breathing.
1: Oh my and goodness.
6: There's quite a variety of those comments. Um, there was also a special feature released on uh, the thoughts of uh, Hiromi Ito, who's a pitcher from Nippon Ham Fighters. Um, and he says, I thought he was only interested in baseball. It's definitely a surprise, great news.
1: <laughs> yeah and I'm sure I'm sure that that would probably be the response from some of his Angels teammates Sydney because that's that's what I always heard from them as well where they were always talking about otani's all about baseball all about baseball apparently not so you probably aren't don't know this because you're not a big baseball fan but uh Otani and the Dodgers uh will open their regular season in in Korea in less than three weeks what do you think their reaction is going to be in terms of the media? going over to talk to him not only about the start of the season, but also this news.
6: Yes, absolutely. I think aside from um, Japan and the U.S., uh, Korea actually is also quite infatuated uh, with Shohei Otani. Um, aside from the Japanese and the English comments, there were quite a few Korean comments, which I couldn't read. But I think in addition to um, the Japanese media being all over it, there's going to be a ton of Korean reporting as well.
1: Oh, man. All right, Sydney, thanks for that special report. Thank you so much for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on TV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call one 800 directv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it
0: live. Baseball Tonight, 2020-14 Preview, Los Angeles Dodgers.
1: A team that won 100 games last season committed hundreds of millions of dollars in an effort to get better. Think about that. The Dodgers landed the most coveted player in baseball in signing Shohei Otani and didn't stop there spending a record $325 million to sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto. The Dodgers also traded for Tyler Glasnow, signed outfielder Teoscar Hernandez, and starting pitcher James Paxton. And they re-signed Clayton Kershaw, Ryan Brazier, Joe Kelly, Jason Hayward, and Kike Hernandez. It was a very busy winter. The weakest Link. Last year, Kershaw led the Dodgers staff with 131 and two-thirds innings, a barometer which reflects the difficulty the team had with injuries and the suspension of Julio Arias. And not surprisingly, an organization with a long and storied history of pitching ranked 20th in starters ERA at 4.57. A perennial strength was a problem. Otani will not be available to pitch this season, but LA starters should improve this year. So long as they can overcome injury issues. Walker Bueller is expected back sometime in the first two months of the season. A guy to watch. Otani is coming off slash line career highs. He hit 304, 412, 654 with the Angels, and now that he has lineup protection in front of him and behind him and will focus on hitting, he could put up monster numbers. No full time DH has ever won the Most Valuable Player Award. Utani's won it twice as a two-way player. Win projection. Pakoda, typically conservative in its win projections, has the Dodgers winning a whopping 101 games. Hembo says 102 wins. Sarah Lang says 103. I'm going to go with 110 wins during the regular season, with the Dodgers' offense wrecking a lot of teams over the summer. And then when they advance into the postseason, they will face staggering pressure. Joe Davis is a play-by-play man on Dodgers television, and and Joe, uh, look, I, <laughs> you know, after the off season, you know, normally we have the debate about who is the winner, who's the loser. In, in this off season, there's no doubt about it. The Dodgers raised some expectations. Well, how would you describe that right now?
7: Yeah, you're right. Winning the off season, it's like a blowout, right? It's like a, it's a route, an off season route with what they did. It seemed like every day they were getting a new player, not just a new player, but big time guy. it was funny. The Otani press conference is going down and then we finished that. And somehow while Andrew Friedman's up on stage, introducing Otani, he finishes off the deal for glass now. And it just felt like that kind of throughout the off season that every single day there was somebody that they were adding.
1: Yeah. And they are going to be facing, and I, I covered the 98 Yankees who had stars on the team great expectations, and it felt like that uh, the regular season almost got set aside, and then it was just a big mm. pressure cooker that built and built and built during the regular season. You've been around these Dodgers all the time. Tell me how you think they're going to handle that. Yeah, I think that's kind
7: of just how it always is, though, right? It's a foregone conclusion they're going to make the playoffs. It's a foregone conclusion they're going to win the division because they have just about every year for the last decade-plus – And then the question becomes that pressure cooker that you mentioned. It becomes the postseason. What do they do once they get there? And you know as well as anybody, Buster, you can be the best team in baseball history. You can win 110 games. You can win 120 games. But if you have a few days where you're off, which is, it doesn't make anything wrong with the play. Like, it just, that's baseball. How often do you see, you know, the Oakland A's take three games in a five-game stretch, even though they're terrible during the regular season. Well, it happens all the time. It's just we don't bat an eye at it because it's the regular season. Well, when that happens, as it has to the Dodgers these last couple of years, you know, a bad few days, it all ends, and none of that regular season matters. So, yeah, I think version of it, but it's, it's kind of the same dynamic they've had around there for a while.
1: So Shohei Ohtani, in what I've seen with the media posts, I have not been in Dodgers camp yet this spring, but what I've seen in media posts and and uh, some stories, he seems so relaxed, much more relaxed than when he was with the Angels. Tell me about that. You know the early days of Ohtani with the Dodgers.
7: Yeah, that's fascinating that that there seems to be that feel because you'd think coming to a new team it'd be the opposite. I don't know what you'd attribute it to. Um, I guess maybe just the overall arc of his career and of his comfort. I think that we saw each year in Anaheim, he got a little bit more comfortable. Uh, the fact that he's over here and, and looking as comfortable as he does already, even as he kind of navigates somewhat unfamiliar territory with, uh, I know he's been through the elbow thing before, but... You know, dealing with he's just doing the hitting and he's rehabbing back from the arm. On top of that, meeting a whole new clubhouse, joining a whole new franchise. And to look like that, to look as comfy as he does, I think it's credit to him, obviously, but a credit too to what the Dodgers have built in terms of a a foundation in that clubhouse, a culture in that clubhouse. And maybe there's something to it too where, you know, Zotani and obviously Mike Trout in Anaheim, but he's far from the only star in in la you know in, in that dodger clubhouse it's chocked full of them and maybe there's something to that leading to an elevation in his comfort
1: how do you think the top three guys in that lineup will impact each other uh and it's obviously speculation at this point we've only seen a handful of plate appearances and how dave roberts have them aligned what's your sense of how bets and otani and freeman will feed into each other
7: i think that Mookie hitting leadoff is the easiest decision of the three. Yeah, I think mean, he's made it clear throughout his career that's where he's most comfortable. He's been awesome in that spot, so why mess with that? And it's not like the other two guys' profile as, as slam dunk leadoff guys. Uh, two and three is where you get the question. And the way that Dave Roberts has talked about it and the little bit that he's referenced it is that you have a much more of a free swinger in Otani hitting second in these in these early spring training games with Freddie Freeman behind him, and they're hoping that that protection can get Otani a few more strikes. Now, conversely, you don't feel like Freddie needs the protection because he's such a disciplined at-bat. There's also the speed element. You get Otani on in front of Freddie and let him run. Now, you can argue that the, the opposite of that is, well, I'll let Freddie get on and let Otani hit the ball over the fence. So there's a few different ways you can look at it. I think mean, bottom line, though, you, you can't go wrong. and. No matter who the guys are, there's been a pretty good case made through the years that lineup construction is probably a little bit overrated. I mean, we're talking about a handful of runs over the course of the season. So it's fun at this stage of the year, <clears throat> excuse me, where you don't have a ton to talk about uh, to, to really grind on that. But I think no matter what you do, Otani 2, Freeman 3, or vice versa, it's scary.
1: Give me the key guy in the rotation uh for the dodgers this year you know an area which obviously was their you know the biggest concern in two thousand twenty three you could go a few ways on this uh one key guy i mean
7: i i think about glass now um you know' yamamoto i think that you need to yamamoto could and and probably will be awesome, but i think that he comes with very clear caveats making making the move from Japan to the big leagues. We all know the challenges and the changes that you're making when you when you make that move. Glass now somebody who I don't think people realize, Buster, how good he's been. Top pitchers in baseball when he's been on the field. So let's say Glass now. Let's say that if he's able to stay healthy, I, he's not getting talked about enough as what he can be. I mean, he's an ace level pitcher. You're hearing about Yamamoto for good reason. You're hearing about Walker Buehler coming back. That's another guy you could point to. Bobby Miller, the year he had last year, but Tyler Glass now is legitimate, elite level ace pitcher if he's healthy. So can he stay healthy? And the thing the Dodgers have going for him is that they have the ability to give these guys the kind of the kind of path they have the best chance to stay healthy. He's not going to need to make 30 starts for him. That, they don't need that. A, a healthy year for him. They can maneuver their way to him making, you know, 25 starts and feel great about it as long as he's ready to go when it matters most.
1: I completely agree with you. You know, people don't understand how great he was uh, with the Raiders. Yeah. I mean, he was healthy and, you know, what an athlete. And last one for you, uh, tell me about the shortstop situation in your eyes and how that's going to be handled this year.
7: Well, it was clear before Kike Hernandez came over. Um You know, I think before Hernandez re-signed, it was pretty clear that it was Gavin Lux's job and Miguel Rojas would still play some, play a little bit against left-handers. It it gets muddied with Hernandez coming over. But I think what it gives you is it's more than insurance. Gavin Lux they feel good about, but Gavin Lux hasn't played in two years. And who knows what you're going to get, right? You you feel like you're going to get a return to what he was showing before he got hurt. They're really excited about him before he got hurt. But you don't know, so now you kind of have double insurance. You have Miguel Rojas who's been one of the best fielding shortstops in baseball the last few years and is a great leader and, and serves such a, such a purposeful role in that clubhouse. You've got him, but now you have Fernandez who can play all over the place and can play shortstop if, uh, if you need to go that route. So a few options there. Definitely uh, one of the muddier pictures, though, when you're looking at Dodger camp trying to figure out who's playing where and who's playing how much.
1: It's going to be fun for you this year, Joe, Uh, and I'll be watching. Thanks for doing this. All right, Buster. Anytime, man. Zero, zero, nine, six.
0: This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs.
1: Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I'm
8: doing great, Buster. How are you?
1: See, I already knew the answer to that because I saw a picture of you and Julio Rodriguez... On social media, what was that like? Tell me how that happened.
8: Oh my gosh. So, I mean, I'm out here in Arizona with my family, my friend Lana, watching some games. As you know, and some listeners may know, I've been coming to spring training since 2010. We had a game on our schedule and wanted to make sure we saw the man. I reached out to someone I know in their pure, the great Tim Heffley. And I said, hey, you know, we're going to be here, not expecting anything whatsoever. Just let him know that we'd be there. I caught up with them back in September, suggesting hi. He ended up bringing us out to their workout and showing us around the facility. We're walking past the training room. My dad goes, hey, Sarah, I think someone just yelled your name. We turn around, and there's Julio comes out, comes to Chad, takes that part, and all that. I mean, he has been such a wonderful ambassador to the game. I'm so, so lucky to know him.
1: Yeah, that was really cool. What a great picture. Uh, I was fired up to see that for sure. All right, let's play the numbers game.
2: Number three.
8: Number three is two. So speaking of exciting young players, you know, we're not going to get into many spring training sets. I think anyone who's listened over the years, I'm not really going to give you context on most spring training occurrences because, you know, it's spring training. But highest prospect, tomorrow Johnson, the other day on the 26th, so I don't know what day of the week it is. We're not going to try now on the 26th, he had two home runs and he is just 19 years old. I remember seeing him hit a by last year. He's very, very young. He is only the third player since at least 2006 to have a multi home run game in a MLB level spring training game. The others to do it Carlos Correa back in 2014 and Dante Bishop Jr. in 2012. So, pretty cool last for him to be on.
2: Number two.
8: Number two is three. The three is for the MVPs that are now officially in the Dodgers lineup. So, when Otani made his debut in Frank we saw that they would go best to Otani Freeman in their lineup throughout the year. And when that happened, in that first game in France, the first regular season game, they will be the first team to have a starting lineup with three or more former MVPs batting in order since the 1996 Red Sox with Move on Jose up and Kevin Mitchell. The last team to do with those bats, being specifically hitting 1, 2, and 3, was the nineteen eighty three Phillies with Joe Morgan, P. Rose, and Mike Schmidt? Of course, all of the names I just said did not feature fields Where all three were still in their prime, we have never seen something quite like this.
3: Number one.
8: Number one is one. So I had that honor green note for you last week. And I was mentioning he was my door course for, uh, leading the major and strikeouts. And you very rightly point out that the paper is meant to Schrader as a trophy, so he led the majors in strikeouts last year, becoming the first big pitcher to use so since John Smoltz in 1996. So Schrader does it again. He we know Warren bond? 1950 to 52. And Tommy Bond in 1877 and 78 as the only bravest pitcher to lead the major and strikeouts in multiple years at all, let alone in consecutive years. And just for context, Tommy Bond, that was before the mound was even at 60 feet, six inches.
5: Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that's great context. All right, Sarah. Before you go, uh, I know you well enough to know that in the time you've been out in Arizona, Julia Rodriguez is not the only person on a team that you've had contact with. Tell me about some of the others you've uh, you've talked to.
8: Oh my gosh! Well, after you and I spoke, up uh, what was that earlier than, uh, last week, earlier this week? Again, no sense of that. I went and talked to Bruce Boshy after that game between the Giants and the Rangers. Of course, it was great to see both. both. Right now, I'm speaking to you after just having a great conversation with Troy Labello, the manager of the Giants, and a great conversation with Kristen Walker. (laughs) Very much like Eric Cole, who knew I had ranked him on my top 10 list. I Christian Walker a bit higher than anyone else. And he mentioned to me that he saw that his wife loved it. So I'm glad that at least brought a smile to their faces.
1: <laughs> Very nice. All right, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thanks for doing this.
8: Thanks so much for having me, Buster.
0: Baseball Tonight, 2024 team Preview, Los Angeles Angels, Machinations. The world's best player walked
1: out the door. Shohei Ohtani, the team's best hitter and pitcher, departed as a free agent. General Manager Perry Manassian must attempt a reconstruction with a budget that is apparently limited. He hired Ron Washington as his new manager. The Angels signed Adam Simber, Adam Kolarik, and Hunter Strickland for the bullpen, and Aaron Hicks for outfield depth. The
0: weakest link.
1: With an offense that will absorb the loss of Ohtani's power, the Angels' starting pitching must evolve. In particular, the rotation of Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, Griffin Canning, and Tyler Anderson. Any turnaround must start with this group, as well as more games in production from the oft injured Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout, the team's two highest-paid players. A guy to watch. Mike Trout has come into camp on a mission this year, not only to stay on the field, but also to get back to being a dominant force. He has missed 249 games over the last three seasons, and last year when he was on the field, Trout's numbers fell off to a 263 batting average and a slugging percentage under 500. He is 32 years old and has some big round numbers in his future. He needs 32 homers for 400, 376 hits for 2,000. The Angels desperately need him to get back to being a
0: superstar. Win projection.
1: Hembos is 72 for the Angels. Sarah Langs is right there with him at 71 wins. Pakoda has him at 73. All say 72. Mark Goob is up, pitched 14 years in the big leagues. He's now an analyst on the Angels television broadcast. Gooby, how you doing?
9: Buster, always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. I'll tell you what, I'm in spring training. Anytime that, you know, everyone goes spring training's too long for me. Just being down here at all, just just watching these guys throw batting practice. Games are going right now. The crack of the bat, just the everything about spring training is always one of my favorite times.
1: Well, and it's not only watching those guys, you're going to be in uniform. Yeah. Uh, you Tell you know, me about this before we started taping. Tell me about uh, what the, the background of this is.
9: Yeah. Uh, this wintertime, Perry Manassian and our GM for the Angels called me up and said, that what would be my interest level as far as at some point putting on a uniform in spring training? I go, well, you know, anytime I could put on a uniform would be the biggest thrill of my life. I mean, I just love that fact. And then, doing a few TV games. And then I have a, a few days off in between and then go back to a few more TV games They go, what about these days? I said, I'm already ready. I'm already, I'm already trying to find out what time <laughs> they want me in uniform at. I'm getting my you know, hat cleats, everything like that. I can't wait to uh, try to help out. Cause I've always been a big believer. Buster is anything, any nugget you can get. I got from Don Drysdale when I was playing from Tom Seaver, Jim Palmer, Dennis Leonard, all these guys. I just ask questions and then, there was a couple. Nolan Ryan, the same thing. If you're willing to find out and ask questions, I know the dad is great right now and all the information. But every once in a while, a nugget from somebody who played before might be something invaluable to you. So hopefully, I'll be able to do that for some of the young pitchers on the staff.
1: All right. So uh, I always, you know, love to have this conversation with former pitchers who graduate into staff jobs. As you know, Bud Black is one of the very, very, very few former pitchers who throws batting practice. Uh, I remember Tommy Lasorda used to. I know Roger Clemens could crank it up now if he wanted to. How about you?
9: Uh, I I did it for a lot of years when I was coaching high school baseball. But I'll tell you what, Buster, I got to be honest with you. Unless I could throw from three feet, my arm was (laughs) not like it used to be. Yeah, I wish I could. Believe me, in my mind, I think I can. But, yeah, if they asked me to do that in the next few days, you know, if they were to say they're facing a sinker ball pitcher, I'm sure I'll be willing to do it. <laughs> All right. So
1: the Angels, uh, you know, it's a unique challenge. They lost their best hitter and they lost their best pitcher with Otani leaving. What's important, the most important in your eyes, in terms of what has to happen as they move on to the next chapter?
9: Yeah, Buster, I, I think the biggest thing, and, and it's it's easy to say, well, you know, maybe a coaching change and everything. Having Ron Washington around and his entire staff he's put, put together, there's a different vibe, different feel for these guys. They're all putting the work in. As far as on the pitching side, they're all going back to their normal, comfortable zone, that five-man rotation so they can do their routines all in between. They know it's uh, you're, you arguably have the greatest player in the history of the game, but he's not there anymore, Shohei Ohtani. So what do you got to do? Mike Trout, I haven't seen the look on his eye like this in a long time. I was talking about you know healthy, and he goes, yeah, I want to be out in the field, but I want to be MVP Mike Trout. Without hesitation, I didn't ask him to say that. I want to be MVP Mike Trout. So we have that. Everybody else falls around in in line with that because you have some really good young players like Zach Netto, Logan O'Hoppe behind the plate, Nolan Shawnawell, all these young players, Mickey Moniak, Joe Adele. But if the MVP is the MVP, Mike Trout, everyone around him is better.
1: You mentioned Ron Washington, and it always stuck to me or jumped out to me when I would be around the Atlanta Braves how much fun that group of players had! Uh, Eric Young was a big part of that as well. Now they're on the Angels' staff. Um, and, and look, I, I, I've known Phil Nevin forever. Uh, he's a great baseball guy. He's a fun guy. But I always thought that that was part of the culture uh, that Wash built. And I'm curious y- your first impressions of that uh, and the impacts he's having. Different, different feel to it.
9: His work ethic, and you know that, Buster, is uh, something I, I I can't imagine anyone having, especially you know, don't even talk about how old he is. It's how much he does. My first day in camp, I had to do a, an interview with Mike Trout. As a matter of fact, I'd be there around quarter to six, quarter to six in the morning. So I'm strolling out there. It's still kind of dark. He's out there hitting ground balls to, to the, the guys on the team. I'm like, wait a minute now. This is before six o'clock. The <laughs> sun's barely out. They got lights on in the morning hitting ground balls, and every day he's working. He's hitting fungos to the catchers to learn how to scoop and be able to block throws and wild pitches in the dirt. He's talking to pitchers. We saw them twice already in this camp where where a pitcher's throwing pitches out of the zone. He wins right out there and has a conversation with them. Boom, they get through the inning. His work ethic and the guys around, you mentioned Eric Young Sr., Bo Porter, all these guys want to put the work in, and every player. And I'm thinking, what time do you guys get here? Because i got to get there real early to start tomorrow morning. They're out there on the field, I kid you not, at 6.30 at the latest right now, and they're all smiling, knowing, and putting the work in. That's Ron Washington. That's why, I mean, everyone's you know thinking you know, the Angels are going to struggle this year, and you know if they stay healthy, it's obviously going to be a big difference. But what these guys are doing, running the bases already. They had five stolen bases in the game this recently, three the day before, going first to third. He said the same thing. That's the way Mike Socha used to play the game with the Angels back in the day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put pressure on defense. Hey, look at Atlanta. Acuna Jr. went, what, 70 bags last year. One of the best players in all of baseball, yet they're still running, still putting pressure on defenses.
1: All right. You you mentioned Mike Trout, and obviously if the Angels are going to take a a step forward from what happened last year, he's got to be healthy. Uh, What adjustments have you seen, have you sensed in your conversation with him as he made coming into this year? Because you'll see guys as they get older begin to make those uh, adjustments physically Uh, especially coming off injuries.
9: Yeah, big thing, Buster, that's a great point you'd ask there because you can see the difference in his hands, how how he wants to get a little bit quicker, shorter through the baseball. How you do that, you make some adjustments with your hand. He says right now, like every other hitter at this time of the year, he's just a little bit late on swings. But I've always been a believer, if you're a little bit late, at least you're tracking the ball well, eventually you're going to get that barrel of the bat out there and make those good, consistent contact. And I think that's what he's doing. He's working so hard as far as getting back to his swing where – in, in his words, and I kid you not, I want fear in that pitcher's mind when I step into batter's box again. That, for me, that says it all.
1: You mentioned before we started you've seen some arms that uh, that raised your eyebrows in camp. Uh, and I, I want you to ask about those. And also, you made reference to the five-man rotation. I know some of the teams that talked about possibly adding Otani into the future, they mentioned that. Like, that, that's not a small thing. How much will that help those guys that uh, have been in the rotation, you know, were in there last year?
9: Yeah, I look at guys like, you know, Patrick Sandoval and, and Reed Detmers and Griffin Canning, and their stuff is there. You wonder, what, well, how do they get to that next level? How do they become elite pitchers? How do they get to be the guys where every time they take the mound, the guys playing behind them feel, we're going to win the game? Well, they took some steps forward, some steps back, but then, you know, they've been kind of asking questions with this whole thing. As far as how, you know, days in between, you got a six-man rotation. Some days with days off, it's seven. Sometimes if show would been pushed back, it's eight days off. And then all of a sudden you get moved into where your route, hey, starting pictures, we're all different people. <laughs> but we're all about routines. We have our bullpen session. We have our workout routine. And boom, we're in a game. Now you have maybe two bullpen sessions. Your workout's a little bit different. You want to be on that routine where you get the baseball every five days. And that's what we're seeing right now. So, Chase Silseth is the guy that I think has a chance to really be a, a special pitcher. He pitched a game against the Braves last year. And Kevin Seitzer and a bunch of the coaches came up and they go, who is this guy? And I go, I'll tell you, he's got good stuff. He goes, not only got good stuff, I, I feel like if I foul a ball off, he might go down and beat me up. He has that kind of like that tough mentality. I think he's going to take a step forward and be really a dominant pitcher. They got some kids coming up, like Dana, a young pitcher. Urania is, is another young arm. You know, Victor Madero's last year came up a little bit. These, these guys are all throwing 99 miles an hour in spring. It took me forever just to get the 90 because you're building arm strength up. These guys got some, some talent coming forward. So some young arms we haven't seen in this organization in a long, long time. And I'll tell you what, I'm pretty excited to see what this team has. Because you know what, Buster? You don't win without pitching. If you don't pitch starting pitching, we know how good their bullpen. Stevenson, wow, that's a great addition to their bullpen they got. But they got a lot of good arms. Ben Joyce, you know, Soriano, both are throwing 100 miles an hour. The one that long ago, the Angels bullpen was relegated around pitch-to-contact guys, and you had to make plays. They have swing-and-miss stuff down there now.
1: All right, Gooby. Thanks for doing this. It's always great to talk with you.
9: Buster, I appreciate it, my man.
2: Bleacher Tweets. All right, everybody, and here are the Bleacher Tweets for this week. We got our first message from Colin. One second. It's kind of long, but you okay.
10: Hi, Buster. This is Colin, a Red Sox fan from New Mexico. My dad was also raised on a farm in Vermont, by the way. Anyway, I was wondering what realignment might look like after reading Bradford Doolittle's column. And I was wondering if the teams went to Nashville and Utah, as has been speculated. Uh, I wonder what these possible divisions might look like and what do you think of them? So AL East, Red Sox, Yankees, Orioles, Blue Jays, AL South, Rays, Rangers, Astros, and Royals, AL North, Guardians, Tigers, Twins, White Sox, AL West, A's, Angels, Mariners, and the Utah team. In the NL, the NL East would be the Mets, Phillies, Nationals, and Pirates. NL South would be the Braves, Marlins, Cardinals, and the Nashville team. The NL North, the Cubs, Brewers, Reds, and Rockies. And the NL West would be the Dodgers, Giants, D-backs, and Padres. So it's not perfect, but I feel like it would have a little more geographic integrity and would also maintain some of the old rivalries and not radically realign baseball so much. So I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that.
1: Thanks. Don, I like your list. Generally speaking, it does it does feel a little jarring to potentially have the Braves out of the same division as the Mets and the Phillies. You know, after years of great rivalry, but I think, uh, you know, having a, a division in the South, you're right. That's probably going to happen. Uh, you know, the other thing, too, that I'd say about this, I do feel like that you probably, it would be good for the rivalry, good for the sport, if you had the the team. If, in fact, Salt Lake gets the team. Uh, to have them and the Rockies in the same division uh, and maybe Seattle in that division. If you remember, you know, we had the uh, the massive shift uh, where he had the Astros actually moving from the National League to the American League. Maybe something like that can happen when they go through this realignment. But I, I feel like you kind of need Salt Lake and Colorado uh, in the same division just to stoke that
2: a little bit. Does that make sense, Sean? Do you agree? I agree with everything you say, Buster. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's our next one.
3: Hey guys, it's Slate from Louisville, Die Hard Reds fan here. Uh but even more diehard baseball fan in general. First of all, Taylor, congratulations on the baby. Uh that's awesome. Yeah, my question for the show is is uh you know Price Harper signed this Huge deal to play outfield to the field. Now he is going to be a first baseman. And uh, previously on a other episode, uh, Buster, you guys were talking about how first basemen typically don't make these big contracts anymore. Teams tend to value them less. And Bryce is now looking for an extension to stay in Philadelphia. And, you know, he's already being paid a premium price. With him making this full time move to first base, does that uh devalue him and and make his contract where it's uh looked at differently in the marketplace where he's not as valuable as he once was even though he possibly could still win an Uh you know, that's my question for the show. So uh maybe that's something that uh himbo or Sarah Lane could touch on or whatever you guys think. But yeah, appreciate you guys and look forward to the next
1: episode. Yeah, I like that question and you're right. Um, you know, Harper going to first base and in, in theory might devalue him a little bit. The one thing I would say about this, about that is that he's kind of, in terms of his importance to the franchise, it's like, he's sort of ascended beyond just the, the, the value of a, of a given player. I think, uh, and you, I think you'd agree with me. You know, there's some guys who, whose value goes beyond what they produce. Uh, you know, the best example in my time covering baseball that I always felt like was Cal Ripken in Baltimore. Like, even after Cal was not, you know, an, an elite player anymore, he was super valuable that franchise because he people could identify with him. I think that's what's going to happen in Philadelphia. That's why I think that uh, John Middleton eventually, they'll work out something where maybe they attack on a year or two, which allows Bryce to know that he was going to finish his career with the Phillies. Uh, so I, I almost feel like Bryce is in a little bit different category at this point than a lot of first basemen.
2: And here's our last one. Hey, guys, this is Landon from Atlanta. Hey, Buster. Recently, you guys have been talking about
10: over-unders on certain projections uh, through the PECOTA system and other systems. I was wondering if you could shed some light on what those projections kind of, like what goes into making those projections. Is it simply uh, projecting how the lineup looks and how that's going to, manifest throughout an entire season or does it go deeper into possible progressions or regressions based on things from 2023 like Babbitt or injuries or anything like that? Any insight you could give would be awesome on what these projections are based on. Thank you. Yeah,
1: so the Pocota projections that are we reference in, in, uh, you know, in terms of what they're going to do I mean, those are based on a, a statistical formula. If I give you my feeling on over under, it's going to factor in a lot of different things. For example, I don't think Pakota is going to factor in the Orioles' new ownership. Uh, you know, the fact that they might be more aggressive at the trade deadline. Um, they may not necessarily factor in. You know, how a guy looks at the beginning of spring training. Uh, you know, he's coming to camp. He looks like he's completely motivated. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. seems to be one of those guys. I heard about DJ Lemayhew. Uh, that he just looks like he's in a you know another world in terms of how he is physically so I think there's a lot more subjectivity to when I do it uh you know to, when Hembo does it Sarah does it there's more feel where with these, a lot of the other projection systems uh and maybe this goes for some of the you know the book uh the books that uh you know put out their over under's maybe that uh you know those are mostly numbers based too while understanding that there'll be more teams that'll get betting action. For example, if you're running a Vegas book, boy, you better uh, be aware of how many people are going to bet on the Cubs because of the popularity of the team, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and that's probably going to affect your over-under.
2: We appreciate y'all sending in some of your voice messages. Again, if you want to leave us a message or um, get a question answered to Buster, be sure to call us at 406-404-8460 or tweet us.
1: That's it for today. Uh, my thanks today to Sean Bartley, to Joey Votto, to Carl Rabich, to Sarah Langs, to Joe Davis, to Mark Gubazad. I think we covered everybody, right, Sean?
2: Definitely did.
1: Okay. And next week we're gonna. It looks like we're gonna have Albert Pools one day. Bob Kendrick, uh, the president of Negro Leagues Museum, is also going to join us. We expect on Monday that uh, that's always a lot of fun. Stay safe, everybody. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.
5: And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel?
4: Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope
5: getting all these games
8: on TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds.
4: TV has the
7: most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks.
5: Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.